Welcome to Mammograms and Me from metro.co.uk. This is a new podcast series all about my campaign to find the million missing mammograms and the thousands of women walking around with undiagnosed breast cancer. Hosted by me, Dawn Butler, I was first elected in 2005 as the MP for Brent and I launched the hashtag Find the Million campaign with metro.co.uk in 2022 because after my own diagnosis, I was shocked to find out that there was between 8,000 and 10,000 women walking around with breast cancer and they just didn't know it. Each week, I'll be speaking to experts, doctors and people with a deep understanding of breast cancer and some people who are still on their journey. I'll be discussing their experiences, the inside story and what we can all look out for. And it's a real great pleasure to welcome three amazing women today to talk about what they do in their fields. We've got Dame Laura Lee from Maggie's, Alice Davis from Cancer Research UK, and Addie Mitchell from Breast Cancer Now. So, Dame Laura, how do you like me to... Dame Laura? Dame um, Laura it's, Lee? It's Laura, Laura. Dawn, please. <laughs> Just Laura. <laughs> Laura, tell... Um, Tell the listeners about Maggie's. Maggie's are places um, on hospital grounds um, near to the cancer centre where people who have a cancer diagnosis can come in to, to get the help that um, worries, questions, support that they might need um, once they've got a diagnosis and for their family and friends. And we've got 24 centres across the UK. Brilliant. I think... Um, the moment I stepped into the door of Maggie's, I think I just cried for the first 10 minutes. Um, and it was just really lovely and calming. And, you know, they just sat there and just, you know, waited for me to stop crying, really. Uh, and then sort of find some words. But it's it's an amazing space. Thank um, you. Yeah, thank you. Um, Alice, uh, Cancer Research UK. Tell us a bit about the work you do. Yeah, so I work for Cancer Research UK. Um, we work across all cancer types um, and we're dedicated to yeah improving outcomes across all cancer types. Um, my work in particular, um, I work in the health information team. So we look into the evidence um, on cancer prevention, early diagnosis and screening, um, and we keep up with the new developments. Um, and then from that, we translate um, those new developments um, to the public um, so they have, you know, information and resources that they need um, to empower them on cancer so they can, um, you know, live a healthier lifestyle um, or know how to spot cancer early um, or be well informed about screening. Brilliant. Great. Thank you. We'll come back to some of the new sort of pioneering medicines and tablets that are out there now. Thank you. And Addie Mitchell from Breast Cancer Now, tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, so um, I'm one of the nurses that works for Breast Cancer Now. Um, we're a support and research charity and we're there for anybody, really, from anybody who's got uh, breast health concerns, um, if they've got any symptoms and they're not sure what to do, to people that are have had breast cancer, going through treatment, having been through treatment. They want to know about things like side effects from treatment the the emotional impact is a is a big one for us and we can support them and also not forgetting their friends and family so it's really important we have a, a telephone helpline um and our ask our nurse service and other services that we can um, offer as well so thanks Eddie. and um breast cancer now was actually where 
I found out that information, that there were a million missing mammograms and around 8,000 women that will be walking around that may be listening to this podcast that have breast cancer. Yeah. And they don't know it. That's right. I mean, I think we know that, uh, you know, the breast screening service is uh, certainly overstretched and underfunded. It has been for some years now. And as certainly in London, you know, uh, the numbers of women uh, attending screen has always been sort of lower than other parts of the country. I think, um, uh, you know, women get invited for screening and we don't know for sure, but we know that people are scared to come for screening. They don't prioritise it, you know, mm. particularly if they've got big families and they've they've got other things to prioritise. Um, and we know that certain, you know, obviously cultures and uh, people in certain communities are hard to reach and won't be attending screening because either they're, they're scared or they, they're, um, you know, they they have other they, they have other priorities maybe. It is a big problem. Uh, people not prioritising well, women not prioritising themselves, right? Mm. What advice would you give, Laura, for women who have received the mammogram letter to come for screening, or as I like to call it, squashing? Mm. And I think we just get used to it. It's fine, you know. What would your advice be? Well, I think, you know, cancer, a breast cancer diagnosis is is a big, scary um, thing. And, and And the... The, the link between the mammogram and the possibility of that can be so daunting for 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 people and um and also people have a fear and imagined of what that might mean in terms of if they do get a diagnosis in terms of disruption to their life mm. and so that instinct to put something off mm. it won't be for me i'll go next next time i get mm. a letter and then that letter doesn't appear and that next jog that you should go so I think it's encouraging people that you know most people who come from um from mammography and you'll know this better yeah. than, than me is they won't get a, a diagnosis of breast cancer they'll Sorry. get the reassurance that they don't have breast yeah. cancer so there's a really positive reason to yeah. go along so do you think so you think that a lot of people think that far ahead so they think about or oh, if I have a mammogram it means I've got cancer and my life's going to change rather than I haven't got time to go for a mammogram or I'm okay because I've got no symptoms. I, you know, yeah. I, I've got, I haven't got inverted nipples, you know, I've got no dimpling, so I'm okay. So do you think it's, from the from your experience of speaking to lots of different women, which one do you think is the most? I mean, yes, um, you're right, Laura. And, and um, I think women don't prioritise it because it's a screening tool. So mm. they don't have to go and it's got, they've got, other things in their life to do, you know, to go to and uh, to prioritise. And and there is fear, yeah, there is mm. certainly fear that they are going to have cancer. Um, I think it is a mixture of things. Or that they have to travel too far to go and get their mammograms done. You know, it could be as something as simple as that, especially in rural communities, you know. Mm. Uh, why would you go when there's nothing, like you say, there's nothing wrong with me. Yeah. Uh, so until I have a symptom, that's when I'll be going to the doctor, hopefully. Mm. Hopefully they would do that too, but... It's important, right, Alice, to catch breast cancer early. Yeah, so spotting cancer at an earlier stage means that the treatment um, is more likely to be successful. If you take breast cancer, women who are diagnosed at the earliest stage, um, almost all will survive for five years or more. And that drops to about three in 10 surviving for five years or more when diagnosed at the later stage. So, yeah, catching cancer, um, spotting cancer at an early stage 
can be really important and it can mean that the treatment is, is less harsh um, and, it, and it's more likely to work. Because mine was spotted early. So mine was spotted very early from a routine mammogram. So yes, I didn't have to have chemotherapy, which was the first thing that I thought, the first thing I thought was that I was dying. But then after that, I thought, my goodness, I'm going to have to have chemotherapy. I'm going to lose my hair. But because it was caught so early, I didn't have to have uh, chemo. And I just wonder what else, what else do you think works in, in regards to getting people to go early? Well, I think, yeah, it's, it's a complex issue and we've discussed some of the, the things, but, um, you know, there's, there's great inequalities um, in terms of who takes up um, cancer screening. So people from more deprived groups are less likely to attend. Um, people from um, ethnic minority groups are also um, less likely to attend. Um, and yeah, I think there's, there's not one um, solution. Um, part of it is, um, you know, making screening uh, more accessible, more easy to easier to attend. We see um, they sometimes use now uh, mobile units where they, they go to um, supermarkets, supermarkets to, to bring the screening to, to people um, to yeah, cut down that that barrier. I, I mean, it's quick, right? That's the thing that we have to tell people as well. Like it is quick. I mean, it's it's squashing, but it's quick. It's a quick squash. And not using that excuse of mm. um, I'm in the middle of my shopping and I've got to get yeah. home and cook my children's yeah. dinner. Actually, just take a moment for yourself in the way yeah. that you might take a moment to look after other aspects of your, your life. I suppose that's something that we don't talk about. We don't talk about build this into your programme of self-care. Have you looked after yourself uh, this month? I mean, I remember, I think I was watching Oprah once where she said, when you get paid, the first thing you must do is pay yourself. Mm. So buy yourself a little something, no matter what it is, you know, it could be a chocolate bar, whatever, but pay yourself um, because you've earned it. And I suppose that's, and if you look like after that. your health and well-being and prioritise that, then you've got more to give others. Oh, yeah. And that, that, I think, is what Oprah was, yeah. was saying. But that takes, a, that takes, for some, and for me, mm. I think it took me, that takes a different way of thinking. Because if you're kind of a giver, always giver, always doing stuff, to then say, look, you need to take that time to look after yourself. I mean, I was forced to in the end. Mm. You know, even, you know, having my operation, it was only when I had a really bad infection and had to be rushed to A&E that I was like, okay, I probably need to tell people that I've got breast cancer now and I'm recovering and that self-care. But yeah, I think that would be a good thing for listeners to take away, right? Take care of yourself and then you can care for others. And we need to keep that cultural change that screening is not just a... A nice to have it's an essential part of your of your self-care yeah i yeah. think that's right isn't it i mean i think as women and obviously about 400 men a year also get breast cancer but as women i think we used to nurturing and looking yeah. after others and i think you know on our helpline we get a lot of women who phone us and they're diagnosed and they feel guilty and they say what have i done or what i say there's nothing you've done or haven't done or eaten or drunk. There's, mm. It's not your fault. Mm. This happens to many women, you know, mm. one in seven in a, a woman's lifetime. So I think, it, you know, there's a lot of guilt. I should be feeling X, Y, and Z. Why should you be feeling? You know, I finished my treatment and um, I say, but, you know, and they say the problem is, of course, family and friends say, oh, you look amazing. Mm. Oh, great. You've, your treatment's over. And it's like, well, no, it's not actually. And you can go back to how you were. Yeah. No. 
you're never the same person after a cancer diagnosis. No. I mean, it's yeah. like it's in, it's it's impossible to jump back to like the time. Like everyone who's had cancer, sometimes people you know forget. Many years have gone past. Of speaking to people with breast cancer, they're like, "Oh, I can't remember when I had it," yeah. but they can remember that the time that they heard you've got cancer. Yeah. That moment and that feeling never leaves you. No. And it's it's very true that people say, oh, yeah, you know, you're fine, you look great. And you can pretend. But I mean, I do like the idea of starting this campaign, this self-care campaign. Yeah. What have you done for self-care? Absolutely. And that, well. and that self-care leads that if you do find yourself through screening, getting a diagnosis, mm. um, that it's also okay, you know, as you were saying, you know, phoning Breast Cancer Now, mm. coming into Maggie's, getting information from Cancer Research UK, but it's okay to then inform yourself to think about how do I navigate my way through the NHS care, treatment options that are, how do I support my family and friends, but it's, a, that it's another opportunity that we have to help people how to be a an active participant in helping themselves through it's a lot to take cancer. on though right it is. you get you get told you've got cancer and then all of a sudden you've got to be like your self advocate for mm. your care and your cancer journey and that's why you best you can do it is to ask others to support you and help you and to be alongside you yes you are out front Mm. Um, having to deal with most of it yourself. But there are support structures and there's your family and friends. Remember that they're wanting and willing to help you. You just need to let them come alongside you and support you as you're going through the diagnosis and treatment. There's people who want to help, but they're scared because this person's got breast cancer, member of their family, a friend. What advice would you give them? What should they, what should they say? How should they approach the situation? I mean, people are often scared about saying the wrong thing and and rarely do people do. Um, if you are offering help and support as opposed to walking across the other side of the road and ignoring, that is the worst thing that you yeah. can do. Um, and then if you feel that your family and friends aren't able to kind of come forward, then that's when, you know, as you did, make the step into a Maggie Centre. It might be that you just come in and cry. cry. And then you'll realise... like my therapy where I cried for like half an hour and yeah. that was it. It was over. Time yeah. was up. But never mind. It helped. <laughs> and then you find the resources start to grow that you can actually face the next day and the day after. And it is a step at a time, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, and I, I would say ask people what they want, you know, it, mm. because like you said, people are scared, mm. but they, I mean, we get... we who for instance going for chemotherapy well mm. you know horrible treatment and people say gosh what can I do and everybody's asking me what they can do to help me mm. you know ask the person that's got the breast cancer what they want mm -hmm. you know and I I often say look if you've got a load of group group of friends or family that are asking to help if you've got kids that need picking up from school and they can do that that's great mm. if you've got someone who's a really good shoulder to cry on that's really mm -hmm. great mm -hmm. And, you know, there are people that are useful for everything. Yeah. People, different people to take you for appointments yeah. for, you know, for X, Y and Z. Yeah. You know, I think it's about using people for different and things and don't you. say no. Yeah. You know, don't be afraid of asking for help. Like you said, again, it's this, I can cope. Yes, yeah. accepting help. Yeah. You reminded me of my yeah. book, A Purposeful Life. So what yeah. I've done in there is said to people, 
whatever your role is, it's important. So like you don't, you know, you don't have to have what you think is a major role, but even if you say it's just picking up the kids or cooking dinner or cleaning the house, you know, that's your purpose. And that's a brilliant purpose because what you're doing is you're allowing that person who's got cancer to continue, you know, their lives, to do something, to get to their appointment on time. Texting them to say, I'm just thinking about you, let me know if there's anything I can do, you know, yeah. if, if you can't sort of be there all the time or they don't they don't particularly want you for anything particularly. Yeah. That's really... Because I said no moving. a lot. I said, no, I'm fine, yeah. I'm fine, and fine. And, like, one of my friends turned up, like, with a cleaner and she cleaned the house. I was like, wow, this is amazing. Thank you so much, you know. It's, it's, um, I think it's one of the other things, is being open to receiving kindness. Yeah. And we often, um, when we feel vulnerable and anxious and we've got a journey ahead of us that we're a bit uncertain about and, you know, a breast cancer diagnosis opens up some uncertainty until mm. the, the treatment path is is clearer. Um, it's, it's just be open to receiving that kindness because... Mm. That will give you a lot of strength um, and courage yeah. to, to 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 navigate the, the the first few steps as your as your treatment starts, whether it's surgery, whether it's surgery and radiotherapy, whether it's hormone therapy, whether yeah, because you've got different people who cope different ways, right? Some will do a lot of research, um, which I think is that just wasn't me. I wasn't that person. I wasn't googling everything. I personally I, that wouldn't work for me. Um, but some people do. Uh, but I think, yes, opening yourself up to kindness is really quite vital and important, which which if you're not used to it, it's a really big deal. Yeah. But how about um but the one thing that I that I am interested in now is all of the new research and the new discovery and this pill that's um been in development for 20 years that will hopefully tackle bad cancer cells and leave the healthy ones. Tell me, tell me about the new, like, tell me what we've got to look forward to in regards to the fight against cancer. Oh, where to start? Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, in terms of, yeah, in terms of breast cancer, um, I guess starting with screening, there are, um, you know, some um, new innovations in terms of how we screen for breast cancer. Um, we were talking about it before, but um, there's a, a new technique called uh, Maria, which is potentially um, a more sophisticated technique. Um, it, it may be able to um, work slightly better on um, women with uh, denser breasts. We know that that can be um, a slight problem um, in traditional mammography. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really frustrated, though, that it's taken so long for that data to come out and, and it's not being rolled out because with Maria, you could even. Uh, do it in the doctor's surgeries yeah i think the thing is it's really important that um these new innovations that they work as well as what we currently have so Mm. um and it it does take um you know clinical trials that that can um you know take several years to to gather that data but it is important that we have that evidence from a clinical trial that this new technique will work uh, more effectively than the technique that we already have so we're not you know throwing out um, something that you know works reasonably well for for something that and it's safer, right? Like in terms of uh, when I say mammograms, but you'll say mammography, and so it's, it's, but it's so think, that Maria's actually safer, I think. So I think newer techniques like Maria um, 
don't necessarily use x-rays which um there's you know a small risk um, mammograms use x-rays currently um there is a small risk um from having x-rays of uh, increased cancer risk that risk is is very small um but yeah new new developments may may see um yeah but you know further reductions in that risk The thing is with this word, AI, it, it's actually used very widely and covers a lot of things. Um, but AI in cancer care and especially sort of breast cancer, they say that AI will be able to identify breast cancer a lot faster and quicker. How is AI at the moment being used in each of your organisations and where do you think it will go? Yeah, and in terms of, of cancer screening, there's, you know, potential um, in the future for, whereas at the moment, um, mammograms have to be examined by um, a doctor. There is potential um, in the future that um, AI could, you know, automate some of that process um, and potentially um, make it more reliable. Um, but again, there's um, further research needs to be done. Um, we don't want to replace that human, that doctor looking um, for something that you know is not um, that does not work as well. So basically, the AI would scan the X-ray automatically and then identify whether they've got cancer in. Is that yeah? So it, I think the the idea is to replace the the doctor, which um, is obviously a, a point that um, particularly in the NHS um, there's a, you know obviously a strain on workforce, mm. um, which yeah is a limiting factor for how quickly these procedures can be done um so the idea is um potentially to, to replace the need for that um but yeah again we, we need more research to see if it if it's yeah. feasible and, and it, if mm. it's you know if it's safe um and and if it, if it that it will work better than yeah. what we currently have and that we're not building in biases into the system because there was i'm on the science and technology committee in parliament and we've been taking evidence on ai and they and one of the medical um, areas what they were using AI the AI was actually reading the serial number at the bottom of the scans and then making assessments based on that nothing to do with the actual picture so there's there's a lot to be to be done around that but you know yes I think we just have to be careful could be before it's rolled out widely but um breast cancer now are you using AI specifically in any way no well no we're not we're we're waiting for that um you know that information to come through um about i mean really we're looking we're watching this space really in terms of uh again screening breast screening so are i you think excited by it or are you scared by it bit of both i think i think those those uh improvements are amazing mm. and i think a lot of the research they've done and and actually Breast screening mammograms are actually double read, so they're 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 read by two consultant radiologists, and uh, so they're talking about possibly. I mean, they won't get rid of the manpower, but possibly getting AI to read it, and then the the radiologists will double read the the um, the films. So and that's again, a human intervention. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's still AI initially, and then a human intervention. So the AI maybe will filter. And of course, you you know, there's a there's a national shortage of radiologists in this country, particularly breast radiologists. A lot of them are retiring now. You know, they came into the screening program and they're all 
kind of my age and above, which is old. And um, <laughs> and they're all no, you know, there's a big mm. group of them retiring. So it's about training new new radiologists as well that are interested in breast screening. So we're going to have a, an epidemic problem where we're going yeah. to lose a lot of experience all at one time. Yes, I mean they they've obviously been looking into that, and they are doing different ways of training they're getting you know trainers training from overseas to to do that they've got special they've got big programs you know the radiologists in terms of training yeah. uh, new radiologists on the block so hopefully you know we will have that like you say there'll be a deficit there is a deficit at the mm. moment wow well, i wouldn't want ai to uh, replace anyone in maggie's mm. <laughs> they don't want a hologram as soon as you walk in to that would um, be a nightmare i think <laughs> ai has got some wonderful opportunities to help us with our workforce and and improving diagnostics we're not there yet but it's coming but yeah we need we need the person the personal mm. um as well and what we don't want is the ai making the call and giving the diagnosis mm. uh, um we still need a person to be mm. able to 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 connect with the individual who's receiving the the, the results so that it can be tailored and personalized mm. to their situation because um, ai won't know about mm-hmm. do they have family support are they on their own are they able to travel to the hospital for their treatment? Mm. So it needs in person. So um, and that's where, you know, protecting the, the workforce to be able to be brilliant in person carers for people with cancer is really important. What's the importance of personalised care? Because as we talk about the NHS and the future of the NHS and keeping people healthy, the focus needs to be on personalised care. And some people hear personalised care and think, oh, it's more time uh, intensive and not as efficient. But personalised care is really important, isn't it? Uh, absolutely. So there's, you know, the the, the, the medical world of personalised care is about tailoring the, the, the right treatment to the, to the individual. And that requires, in the diagnostic space, huge intelligence mm. to be gathered um, about the individual so that they can get the a more specific treatment for themselves rather than where a lot of breast cancer treatment is at the moment where it's a more of a you're one of a hundred and mm. therefore you're getting a treatment option that's that's based on a, a statistic rather than a, a group for you so personalized care because you have better outcomes if you have personalized care right rather than just saying right this is this is it you've got triple negative you all go and have chemotherapy or you know there's a difference in in expectancy and outcomes. There are more options, and thankfully those are coming. Like you're saying with the new drugs that are coming out, you know, so that that's happening too. So hopefully they are getting a much more uh, personalised uh, mm. treatment, um, and I think that's only going to improve as as other treatments get licensed mm. by Nice. When's the last time you had a mammogram? Oh, that's. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it's last summer. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Great. I go to my, I, I go when invited. <laughs> Straight away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool. yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm. A... <laughs> How about the people who want to go for a mammogram but haven't been invited to one? What do they do? I mean, it's really important that everybody is uh, what they call breast aware. So, breast awareness is um, knowing what's normal for you by checking regularly. And for some people, they don't have a cycle, so it could be sort of four to six weekly, mm. so that they know what's normal for them, so that if they ha- 
notice anything new or different, they go to a doctor. Mm. There are, I mean, obviously some people that may be invited for screening who are have a high risk of through having a strong family history of mm. breast cancer. So they may have, might have what we say regular surveillance, mm. so more screening. For the most part, if you're not in that group between the age of 50 and 70, if you're over the age of 70, you can uh, request a, a screening mammogram. Yeah. Uh, well, no, not through the uh, GP, through your uh, local screening service, breast screening service, because GPs haven't got that facility. So they, um, but anybody so else. how would they get in touch with their screening service? Well, they can, they can phone our helpline mm-hmm. to find out. They can ask their GPs. Mm-hmm. But some they they should know, <laughs> so yeah, they can they can ask the GP. But they usually would if they've been screened before, they'd usually have it on their letters, on their previous mm-hmm. um, correspondence from the screening unit. So they mm-hmm. should have that. But they can always give us a ring if you know mm-hmm. breast cancer now. If they if they want if to they find, out. find out, yeah, Brilliant. yeah, that's fine. Alice, have you ever been for a mammogram? I Scotia? haven't. No, right. I'm uh, not that age yet. Yeah. But. <laughs> But I did, when I was at university, actually, I did spot something in my breast um, and I went to the doctors and I had uh, a, an x-ray um, for that. And it, it was it, something, ended up being something for nothing, but I think it was the right, right thing to do. Yeah. yeah. Were you worried when you, were to you aware? To be honest, uh, to be honest, I wasn't actually very mm. worried. Um, I think at that, I thought about it quite rationally. Mm. Very throughout it, I wasn't particularly worried. Um I think when I got to the doctors and um, she was like, okay, take your top off. She was like, and I think she said something like, oh, I didn't expect it to be there. I think that, I don't know, sometimes mm. you hear something that mm, triggers yeah. your worry a bit. But mm. um, yeah, I think I've rationalised for, I was, you know, like 20 years old. It's very mm. unlikely. But yeah, I think I spoke to my mum about it at the time and she said the same thing to me. And whenever there's something that's not normal or doesn't feel right for you, um, mm. you should always get it checked out. Um, and you know, most of the time, most of the time, it it, it won't be cancer. It, yeah. it won't be yeah. something serious. But if it is, um, it, spotting it early can make a big difference. What made you get into the cancer field? Yeah, well, I I studied biochemistry at university. You know, was quite interested in the science. Um, learned a fair bit about cancer. Didn't really want to go and work in a lab particularly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I looked at other options and um, became quite interested in kind of like communicating science um, to the public. Mm-hmm. And yeah, a, a job came up at Cancer Research UK, which seemed to just combine um, the sort of scientific background with sort of communicate. I'd, I'd had some experience in kind of like communications roles. Mm. Um, so it seemed to combine it quite well. And I think I'm quite interested in, um, you know, there's lot, lots, so many inequalities in, in terms of cancer outcomes. Mm. Um, and I think one way to do that, one way to kind of tackle that is by putting out information that is, you know, plain English, is easy, easy to understand. Um, and by, you know, going to, to different groups and um, different forums like this um, that you know, to, to put out the sort of key health information mm-hmm. and to try and get that message out. Um, so I think, yeah, it felt like the skills I could bring to the, mm-hmm. the cancer, um, to, yeah, just kind of improving cancer outcomes was on the comms information side. So really? it's my interest yeah. really. And when people say, for those people that say there's no disparities or it doesn't matter or it's you know, we're talking rubbish. What, what do you say, what do you say to that? Yeah. So, I mean, there's huge health inequalities in the UK in terms of cancer outcomes, um, that there's also, you know, great, great health inequalities. And, um, I guess we're speaking about breast cancer. We had a um, recent study that showed that, um, 
women from uh, Black African and Black Caribbean background were more likely to be diagnosed at a later stage than white women. Mm -hmm. So to people who say there's no disparities, the data does say otherwise. Mm -hmm. um, and it's it's important that in our work, we're, you know, we're trying to find the, the root causes of those things and finding ways to overcome them is really important. Mm. And that's factual, right? Yeah. That Black Caribbean, Black African women are diagnosed later and have mm -hmm. worse health outcomes. That's actual factual. Why, what has your research so shown so far to why that is? Yeah, so it, again, it's, it's probably not going to be one reason. Um, mm. And we don't, unfortunately, we don't know all the reasons yet. But um, we think one possible reason is screening uptake um, is, is lower in ethnic minority groups. There, you know, maybe um, kind of greater barriers to accessing healthcare um, mm -hmm. among those groups. That maybe, you know, it could be due to things like language barriers, but also just previous um, potentially bad experiences or mm -hmm. um, uh, feelings comfortable. There's some theories around, um, you know, stig stigma um, mm -hmm. around mm -hmm. and fear and fatalism around cancer um, in some groups, maybe maybe greater than in, in um, white British people. Um, so, you know, if you feel if you feel scared about cancer and if you live in a community where it's seen as a death sentence mm. or yeah. seen as untreatable, you're going to be much less likely to um, seek help because you're, mm. you're just going to have that barrier of fear getting in the way. Um, so we, we think that may be one reason as well. Right. It's going to be quite complex. Yeah. Yeah. And we know and that when, when was the last time you had uh, your mammogram? <laughs> I wasn't going to, I hadn't forgotten to ask you that question. Yeah, was... <laughs> <laughs> um, a year ago at Charing Cross Hospital is where I go for my breast screen. Mm. But I, I think in a way... Well, did you go on time or were you late? Well, I, I missed one appointment <laughs> and then I had to go make another one and so and I think how comes you missed your you're not getting away with I it I forgot like. it was in my diary and then <laughs> as someone who works in the kind of sort of healthcare world I felt so terrible at mm. missing a precious appointment and so I'd, I'd I'd really want to just say to everyone is you know you know don't be embarrassed you know mm. phone up and make another one they know that we're human and we mm. make mistakes and then the other thing is Dawn I'm very flat chested, as you can see. So the other thing is we can make assumptions of because I'm not fulsome and mm. um, I, you know, I'm not at risk of breast cancer, so I don't need to bother. Um, my breast health, you know, doesn't, I don't have to go for bras or mm. any of those other challenges or, you know, jogging bras aren't needed for me, but I still need to go for breast screening because I'm still at risk. And mm. I, I think um, we all come in shapes and sizes and breast cancer doesn't discriminate within those different um, uh, shapes and sizes. And I think the, the other interesting thing about the social inequalities is that what happens is that more educated you are, the better you are at navigating the system mm. and getting yeah. your treatment more effectively and on time. Yeah. And that's why we have to support people to um, ask questions, to speak up, to, um, to not be embarrassed, mm. to admit that they missed their appointment and, and yeah. ask for another one. I kind of want to end end on a couple of things. I kind of want to talk about mental health because the reason why I wrote my book was because I was recovering breast cancer. My mind was still racing mm -hmm. 100 miles an hour. So I needed to do something and I couldn't work the way I was working. So I started writing and then sort of journeying through sort of my life and my experiences everybody's mental health is different at different times. What advice would you give people who are either at the beginning of their journey, scared to start their journey, or transitioning through their journey? Well, I think 
I'd say to yeah find support family and friends um but also we have a wonderful helpline nurses um who can provide um support relating um for people who have been affected by cancer so that's whether you have cancer yourself you're kind of at the start potentially of a diagnosis journey um or if you have a family or friend who has been affected by cancer our nurse helpline um can, can help you it's a free helpline and they're um, open nine to five so in my book, I talk about how I called Parliamentary Helpline after them asking me questions for about 10 minutes. I was like, uh, OK, I, this is just irritating me. I can't talk to them. <laughs> so then I phoned the Samaritans, but then I was put on hold. And then I thought, do you know what? Somebody else might need this line, but somebody else might need this more than me. And so in the end, I put down the phone. And then I just watched telly instead. <laughs> Did it help? I watched junk TV. I don't even know what I was watching, but I, I remember it was junk. Um, so yeah, I immersed myself in that. But what would you, what would you advise? Well, like um, Alice was saying, we have our obviously confidential helpline of anybody going through the journey, their relatives, um, friends. We signpost to um, Maggie's and Macmillan for anybody that needs help in terms of counselling or they want to need to speak to somebody. Um, but also it's about we're just there to listen. And actually mm. when they do, they're brave enough to pick up the phone because a lot of people don't, you know, that's scary, mm. isn't it? You know, I'm sure you've found it yourself that actually to pick up the phone in the first place is such a brave, courageous mm. thing to do. And once they have, it's like, oh, phew. And then they talk. And sometimes they just want to talk, but also if they're having a really bad time, it's, I sort of often say it's about accepting that the, today is going to be a horrible mm. day because it is a bit up and down, mm. isn't it? And, mm. you know, tomorrow might be better, but mm. are you going to do something nice later on? Are you going to go out and exercise? And what makes you feel better? Mm. And what do you think you should do to make, what makes you feel better? You know, mm. I always put the question to them and actually okay, you're having a really rough day today and quite quite understandably, you're going to have your chemo tomorrow, you're waiting for a, a bone scan result. You know, why shouldn't you be feeling like this? Just don't beat yourself up over mm. feeling bad. Mm. And sometimes it's like, oh yeah, okay. Mm. <laughs> you know, again, it's that guilt thing, isn't it? You know, I, oh God, I woke up feeling lousy, but I'm not, I'm not much used to my family. You know, it's like, we'll reach out and get that support. And then, mm. you know, hopefully tomorrow will be, kind of better and it will yeah. get easier for you yeah 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 and it does it does get easier yeah, it does yeah get good. Easier. i can good. contest to that yeah yeah was your advice well i mean we know just as, as you've mentioned for yourself don it, it's a cancer is a, it's a there's a mental health challenge within mm. a cancer diagnosis it's not just physical and it's also at the start very frightening and daunting and lonely Mm. And I think we don't talk enough about that kind of sort of loneliness. And that's, you know, who are your, um, your your support allies that you can reach out to, whether that's in your friendship group or your church um, or um, folks like ourselves here today um, at Maggie's or Breast Cancer Now or CRUK. Um, you don't have to go through cancer alone. And what we do know is that if people um, do reach out and, and access support, um, they do so much better through their cancer treatment and have better outcomes and their mental health um, is, is better and that the, the challenges that they might face coming to the end of the treatment will, will be lesser as well. Mm. Um, so it is a mental health challenge, but don't go through it alone. Mm. I think that's a very, 
powerful lesson. So what's the thing on social media or an email that you've received that you've thought that's really good advice that's been, you know, shown or played out in a different way that surprised you or that you've learned from or that you think that's really great? It's not it's not social media, but we had a we've just done a uh, an amazing sort of an innovative thing, I can't say the word, mm-hmm. uh, called the chat. And it's a WhatsApp group drama. And that was that was played out on um on social media on Instagram. It was four actors and they play women one of whom gets diagnosed with breast cancer and they're just on a group chat just like you would be with friends and they're they're exchanging you know their day-to-day uh chat and uh I was sort of I was privileged enough to be involved with the filming of it but it, it it's amazing and it went over a period of about two months mm. and every day another piece of chat came out but that's a really new thing I mean they were trialing it and it's it was really successful. It was it was a brilliant piece of uh, work because the actors were brilliant, and it was a famous actor who played. Well, they, they were all famous actors, but the the lady who played um, uh, the and what sort the of thing they talk about? Woman who was it? it was just anything, you know. Right. So she, um, so the lady who who was diagnosed with breast cancer uh, was going was going to go through treatment. So she had her surgery, mm. and she she basically left lived life she had she was married with two children and she lived life mm. normally and uh, then she just chatted through to her friends about oh I can't meet you today you know I'm having a bad day I'm going to be off off grid for a while you know mm. a few days so it was kind of real real life mm-hmm. it was based on a lot of the stories we've heard I can say it sounds a bit like in my book I've got where I I started to leave a video diary yeah, not similar. Not for anyone. Yeah. Because honestly, I looked so rough. There was no way that was ever <laughs> going to see the light of day. But in the end, it was just somewhere to go to dump my thoughts. Yeah. Thank you. Any Anything else that's, that's uh, stood out for you guys? I think what I like to see um, sort of on our social channels, um, I think it's really impactful is, yeah, people sharing their stories um, of, their, of their cancer diagnosis. Um, and you know how it's changed their life, um, and I think I think that's really important for yeah breaking down the taboo around cancer. Mm. Um, you know, as soon as you you see someone and possibly you can relate to them because they're like you, they, they may have that experience. It makes it, it more relatable, and I think you know whether that's any any different type of cancer or whether they're um, using it to you know talk about how they decided to stop smoking or make a positive change. I think having mm. that um, story from from somebody can be really yeah. impactful because smoking is a carcinogenic isn't it and so is alcohol I I haven't given up wine I must say I have to admit that the odd glass but there's yeah there was people who were just like I've stopped drinking I've stopped smoking which is great but some were a bit miserable as well and I thought if it makes you that miserable you know because it's not it's not a guaranteed, is it? It's course, just yeah. one of those. I mean, yeah, we, you can never say if you do this, you won't get cancer. No. Um, that's not how it works. But there are things you can do to reduce your risk. And yeah, things like not smoking, cutting down on alcohol, mm. keeping a healthy weight. They're all things that will kind of stack the odds in your favour. But as you say, there are no guarantees about against cancer. Mm. Um, but there are also there are things we can do to reduce our risk. And about mm. four in 10 cancers can actually be prevented. So it's not all doom and gloom. There are oh. things we can do. Four in ten cancers could be prevented. 
Wow. Yeah, Gordon. Um, our, we have kind of projections and statistics, um, lots of clever people that, that work with us. And, and are they specific cancers? Yeah, it's, it's a range of, of cancers. So it, it's they kind of calculate it, stats and stuff. But, you know, they'll look at the number of cases of lung cancer, for example, caused by smoking or the mm. number that smoking causes other types of mm. cancer too. Um, and they use that to produce estimates, essentially. Right. But I think it's also about definitely a balance, isn't it? Because like you say, you you can't just live your life shrouded in, you know, uh, sort of, you know, sacrificing everything because yeah. that, like you say, is, it makes people miserable. And and again, it gives guilt. And that stress, stress has, definitely. has an effect on the body. Although the immune system. there is that guy, isn't there, who wants to live forever and he takes about 50 vitamins a day. And I think it's the same and exercise. Expensive doesn't, urine, as they doesn't say. Doesn't have much of a life. <laughs> Quality um, of life is is as <laughs> important as, as quantity. Um, so I think you're taking the right approach. <laughs> Great. So you've got the last word on. Well, I think um, talking about what's going to be so helpful is your book, Don, oh. sharing your story, um, sharing that you've had your own cancer diagnosis. Because although everyone's individual. Um, by speaking up and talking and people reading your book and hearing how you've got through it isn't going to be how they've got through it, but to hear that you did get through it and produce a book at the end of it <laughs> yeah. um, will inspire others that they too can find a way through. Brilliant. So, yeah, thank thank you. you for your book. Oh, thank you. I hope so. I hope, I hope it does inspire others. But thank you all so much, Laura, Alice, Eddie. Thank you so much for coming in and speaking with me today it's been great thank you all so much for listening to mammograms and me the podcast hosted by me dawn butler with metro.co.uk please do leave us a rating and a review on apple and don't forget to sign up for hashtag find the million tell five friends about this podcast and keep listening Every week we will have a new episode. Keep sharing the information that you learned today. Let me know if there's anything else that you want me to cover. This podcast was produced by Pineapple Audio Production. Thanks again for listening and see you again next week.